Oh. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining me again. The burning in my forest has been going on, even still. And I'm puzzled, time and time again, because it burns the intricate spider webs I've weaved around here. But nothing more. I smell it, and I feel its warmth, and I see its glow. But I'm disoriented. I cannot find the source. I cannot see its direction. I try to catch up the pieces of my stories, my spider webs, and hold them in my weary arms, and carry them around with me so that I never forget all that I've done, desired, worked for. But they're too heavy, so I leave them be. They shall burn up and fizzle away, and I shall feel lighter for it. It's just hard to let go, perhaps. I am grateful that they were. That is good enough. I was not very clever this week. I sat down and shuffled my tarot cards and asked them, Who was here with me? I shuffled very, very carefully and thoroughly, but still I drew the lovers again. Upright again. Again. I told you last week, but I will say again, it represents love, of course. Harmony. Relationship. Soul connection, you understand. But why again? Obviously because I asked the same question again. Last week I asked, what is burning in my forest? This week I asked, who is here with me? Of course the answer is one and the same. What is burning here is who is with me. The lovers. I do not think that they are an enemy. I have not thought to raise my hopes and guess that it might be my friend made of fire, he who burned so brightly and who I loved dearly, for he was so caring and gentle and kind. I used to have difficulty loving those qualities. But then, too many strangers with their reaching arms and hurtful hearts made their way into my life, and I realized just how clouded my vision was that whole time. If he is here with me once more, reborn as his cycle must allow him to be, then why will he not show himself? What is he now? Is he different? Is he the same? Is he all right? What must I do? He's trying to find his way to me by burning through the webs. And I've let him. Let him follow the string back to me. In the meantime, I shall tell you yet another story about the lovers. Please do not laugh at me if it is too sweet. Too darling. Please do not mock me if I am being too indulgent, too decadent. Or if you do, let it be a gentle kind of laughter. Let it be fun, not hurtful. If you are my friend, I think this will not be a problem. 
if you are not my friend. Stop listening, I suppose. Once in a large, dark, lonely house, a young woman died. She lived there, too, but only for a little while. Not even a month. She had come here to be married to someone that she thought she knew very well, but in truth, did not know at all. And so, without giving you any motive for the deed, for there is none that could justify such an act, and without describing how she met her violent end, for I despise violence in all forms, let us simply say that she was murdered by someone she once believed loved her. She never liked the place. Not in life, not for the little bit of time she'd known the house, and not in photographs she'd seen of it before agreeing to move there. It was very old, and had been neglected for a long time. Even when all of its many candelabras, chandeliers, fireplaces, and lamps were all lit and glowing, it was still a dark place. The darkness was quite impenetrable. The darkness was always victorious in this place. Almost as if something always fought against the light here. Aside from that, it was terribly dusty and unkempt. Whenever a sliver of sunlight wrestled its way in through the windows and past the wine-colored damask curtains, it lit up what seemed to be little molecular universes of hanging dust particles, little spores more like, that the air was veritably suffocated with. She did not like it. She had been raised in the country, in a place with wide open windows and fresh air and sunlight. This place was cold and closed and smothering. And the people here were unhappy. Her volatile and distant husband, her bitter and reclusive in-laws, the strict and judgmental housekeepers. They mostly kept to themselves, but if she should ever find herself in the same room as any of them, the reception was always cold and hateful. It became clear that she had found herself married into a family purely for their financial gain where she was seen as more of a nuisance than anything else. She would quickly learn that, though it would still be too late. She honestly didn't know who killed her. It didn't matter. She had sat at their large dinner table while they all ate in silence. The meal tasted strange, but it always did, didn't it? She fell ill almost immediately retired to her bedchamber, lay under the covers, watched the dust particles hang in the air in the candlelight. I'm dying, she whispered to the air as she realized what was happening. And as she lay there, her vision blurring, she could swear she saw a few silhouettes waiting nearby, watching her as she drifted away. Ghosts are strange things. 
It is not always as we sometimes imagine, where one dies and immediately one's soul is pulled away to the point where one can look down and see themselves as they used to be. Sometimes time must pass. In this poor lady's case, days it was. She awoke not in the bed she died in. She awoke at the front door. Inside the house, still in her pajamas, facing the door, as though it expected her to decide to leave. But she couldn't figure out how to open the door, as her hand passed through the knob as easily as a knife through water. So she turned to face the inside of the house. It was all dark. Darker than usual. It seemed devoid of color. Not that it ever had much to begin with. The grandfather clock at the base of the stairs was stopped entirely. At midnight, of course, which made no sense, however, since there appeared to be a little light streaming in here and there. Again lighting up those little flecks of white dust, which seemed to not be moving at all either. She thought she might go to the kitchen, perhaps to see if the housekeepers were disposing of a conspicuous vial of poison, anything that might offer a clue as to what happened. But no one was there. She thought she might go to the salon, perhaps to see if the master and mistress of the house sat with glasses raised, toasting the success of their dastardly plot. But no one was there. She thought she might go to the bedroom, perhaps, just perhaps, to see if her husband knelt at her bed, weeping and wailing to her corpse for forgiveness, begging her to come back to life so that he could right the terrible wrong he'd done. But no one was there. Not even her body. Every body was gone. Everything was dark. Everything was colorless. And she was here alone. And she could not leave. Of course, she despaired a bit though she admitted to herself that it was a little better this way than when she was surrounded by those who hated her. She reasoned with herself that surely, if she was a ghost, she was haunting this house. Perhaps if she behaved as a ghost haunting a house, she could be noticed. She tried to make herself known. She may not have been able to touch the doorknob, but she could touch almost anything else. She dashed all of the pots and pans from the cupboards to the floor. She knocked over antiques she knew to be priceless and laughed as they shattered to the ground. She wrote on the walls with candle wax damning and cathartic messages. But she could see no response. No reaction. No effect. The truth, however, is that there absolutely was, each and every time. In the reality in which the living found themselves, vases shattered, pots and pans clamored, messages written by an invisible hand revealing horrific secrets appeared, and the family who lived in the house was beside themselves, tormented by the spirit of the one they'd wronged. 
but what did it matter to our poor lady ghost? She would never know the effect these actions took. There was no satisfaction to be had. Not for her, anyway. Perhaps for another hapless victim they may have claimed one day, but not for her. The worst part was that everything righted itself. She could tear an entire room apart, and in the living world it might be irreparably damaged. But in the land of the dead, it would reset itself as soon as she left the room. She'd return and everything would be as it was. Black and white, still as stone. Everything, most especially the air. And so she gave up on haunting. She had only herself now. She had no way of telling how much time passed before she began to see them. She had seen them before, hadn't she? But in the living world, as she lay dying, they had been shadows, silhouettes hovering around her bed. Now she saw, sometimes, in the strangest places, a huge, shining white light. She was afraid, at first, and rejected it, thinking it would send her to a place far, far away from here that she was not ready for. She would run away and hide, fearful of that bright, white light. But eventually, she thought, surely it must be better than what was here, and so she'd go running towards the light. If this is ultimate death, she thought, take me there. I am ready. But the light ran away from her, away, away, away into some little room in the house where it would slam the door and leave her alone. How curious. Sometimes she would see it from underneath the door cracks, silent and waiting. Sometimes she would see it in the corner of her eye, peeking around a wall. Sometimes she would see it right in front of her, standing, brave as anything. One night, minute, hour, month, year, she was lying in her bed, trying to sleep as she did every night and finding it impossible, as it was, for ghosts don't sleep. But it comforted her to try. She was trying to sleep, lying in her bed, when she heard something. Her eyes widened as she listened to the first sound of another person. Another something echoing from within the house, or so she thought. If she could cry, she would have wept buckets of tears. But she couldn't. So she yelled out, like one who has been alone on a desert island for decades, and finally sees a ship on the horizon. The sound stopped. No. No, 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 she murmured, frightened that she'd scared away whatever it was. Whatever you are, whatever you are, I will love you, just don't leave. And she scrambled out of the bed, 
and ran down the stairs. She had to shield her eyes from the light that blazed in from outside of the house. It was so terribly white, so viciously bright, that she cowered in its wake. Are you all right? A voice rang out behind her. She turned, and now that the light was no longer in her eyes, it projected itself towards the front door, where she saw a man. A man wearing a plumed hat atop his long, curling locks, and a coat of fine red velvet brocade, and lovely gold buttons. A man with an arrow piercing his throat, and emerging from the other side. His face drained of blood. His eyes brimmed with white light, until that light subsided, and they were warm and brown and inviting. I say, are you all right? He asked again. The girl stammered a little, trying to think of how she could possibly answer that. No, yes, well, I mean, I think, I think I've been, I, I think I was poisoned and the handsome, well-dressed man interrupted her. Yes, yes, you were indeed, only, I mean, you screamed just now. I was calling to whoever might hear me, she said softly. He was not as shocked by her appearance anymore, not as she surely was with his. He'd been observing her for a little while. She wore strange sleepwear, a pair of striped white and yellow pajamas and a lounging robe, and a funny little nightcap on her head. And her lips were purple, and her eyes almost completely red, and her veins very pronounced, though she did not know it. She had no idea what the poison had made her look like. But here she was, and the man with the arrow in his throat was used to it by now. He found her quite fetching regardless. He bowed to her in an elaborate and graceful gesture. Well, madam, I've heard you. Welcome. If she could have blushed, she would have more so when he picked up her hand in his and kissed it. Oh, she hadn't felt tenderness for so long, not even before she found herself in this place, without time or change. I was wondering when you'd look a little closer. I suppose you simply needed to see me in the light, he said, gesturing at the windows. It's so terribly dark in this place. Such a deep, unending darkness. It's hard to cut through it sometimes. But what is that light? She asked. And why have I never seen it before? He raised his eyebrows and offered her his elbow to hold. Allow me to show you, he said, and began to lead her to the courtyard. There are a few of us waiting for you. They'll be happy to see you. She stopped in her tracks, seemingly a little blue all of the sudden. Oh, but I, I cannot leave the house, you see. He sighed a little 
not wishing to upset her. So telling her gently and calmly as he leaned into her ear, he revealed, Just because the doors are locked doesn't mean you cannot go through them. Her stomach dropped as though she were falling from a great height. She broke away from him, her eyes shocked and perhaps even feeling a little betrayed, a little hurt, a little embarrassed. But she knew he wasn't the one who brought her here, killed her here, and trapped her here. He was trying to help. But it still hurt. But she took that pain that she felt the urge to throw at the first person who cared for her in, in who knows how long. She took that pain and ran at the door to the garden courtyard instead. She ran right through it. And the sun was shining brightly. And the spores in the air were moving and floating as they should out here. At first she couldn't see anything. Just the blinding white light again. But her eyes adjusted. And she saw birds flying above her. Squirrels running up and down trees. Flowers blooming in what she now knew was spring. And though no table was set and no chairs were out, for no one was able to bring them from within the house to without the house, it was a lovely springtime garden party before her. She was a little worried to be here in her pajamas, but there was an old gentleman in a nightgown and cap from a bygone age. Though he had clearly been stabbed in the chest, he smiled and shook her hand, and went on speaking to the distinguished lady at his side, also in an antique nightgown, though she wore it as though it were her Sunday best. She appeared to have died of old age, lucky thing. An old gardener sat on the grass, basking in the sun, as though he'd never been struck by that crumbling gargoyle, and he hid it very nicely with a charming brown cap a couple danced near the daffodils. One, a dandy wearing a powdered wig and a lovely white coat and sporting bruises around his neck and a crushed windpipe. His partner wearing a modern suit that our young hero recognized from her own time. Overly formal, perhaps a butler once, but a man of leisure now. He also had blue lips and red eyes, but despite having been poisoned just the same as she was, he seemed quite happy and in lovely, caring company. I know that last week's story ended with love, and this week's story must end with love, but I drew the lovers, and is it ever a bad thing, truly, to end a story with love? The handsome man in red beside her smiled at the host of happy ghosts who were not always happy, like her. But in their own time, they all came to the courtyard garden, where they could witness change, growth, decay, 
the progress of day to night and back to day again, the changing of the seasons, the adventures of the animals, the song of the flowers, all the things that had been there before they died and existed long after, too. They could go back inside sometimes, if they wanted to, and sometimes they did. Sometimes peace, quiet, and stillness, even in a dark place, was just the ticket. But they were too bright for that awful place now, and so they usually appeared as only that clear, intense light. To the living, they were only shades. But to each other? They were warmer than the sun. They were kinder than the moon. They were lords and ladies and gardeners and butlers and musicians and artists and revelers and mothers and brothers and wives and daughters and... And you get the idea. They were all together. And they loved each other. I wish to never, ever, ever leave this garden, the woman in the pajamas said to the man in red as they watched the sun set and the first quarter moon climb up in the sky, supported by little twinkling stars. They all glowed with their bright light in the moonlight, all who had chosen to remain in the garden anyway. You don't have to, if you don't wish to, he answered cautiously. And then, they heard a strange cry from within the house, the house where they no longer tried to keep track of the time. Surely a new family, a new tragedy, a new world was there now, even if they couldn't see it. But it was a strange cry, one that seemed to be calling out for help and the girl in the silk pajamas and nightcap looked up to her room and saw a bright light shining from within the chamber. She looked to the handsome gentleman who hadn't left her side for the entire party. He looked back at her, held her hand gently, and said, I'm sure they'll be happy to see you. He squeezed her hand and added, If they can... It may take a few tries after all, but they'll come around. At the sight of the new white light in the bedchamber, everyone else at the never-ending garden party cheered and danced and sang their welcome. And the white light from the bedroom ran down the stairs to see what the commotion was about. That's the end. But it's not because none of them were going anywhere. None of them were leaving. None of them were leaving ever again. How happy they were here. How happy they would be and could be. How happy I would be and could be here, too, in these woods. The lover's card represents, indeed, as I said, romantic love. And she did have that. For who doesn't want to love a handsome, princely fellow in red velvet, 
or a funny, charming lady in silk pajamas. Or both or neither, but what I mean to say is that it was an easy relationship. But that is besides the point, I must be clear on that. I don't know what the point is, other than that we are all here, and we are not leaving here, and we must love as much as we can. Mm, must is a strong word. Should might be better. I don't know. The lover's card tells us to make a choice. The lover's card tells us to choose love. Make these connections. So then, who is burning my forest today? Not the blazing light before me. Not white, as in the story, but red and orange and yellow. Fiery as a phoenix, warm as the sun, bright as a newborn star, resurrected and alive. All my webs are gone, all of my magic is gone. I am only here now as myself, not donned in the trimmings and trappings of story or fiction. I am just a woman in a forest sometimes, and I'd like to be seen for that. Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes I pretend to be a spider, industrious and creative and resourceful, and sometimes I am a spider. But sometimes I'm just a woman in a forest. And when his fire dies down, and he enters a new realm of fiction, one not that far from me and my fiction, not far at all, but right beside me looking up at the moonlight. He's just a man in a forest, too. You're just you here, and you don't need to do anything else to be here. You are welcome here. You are welcome to this. And let us find unity in that for a moment. The joy we can have in common by just being on this little marble, enjoying it spinning around. Let us breathe that in. And love it. <laughs> Good night, my friend. Hello, my lovely friends, and welcome to episode 141 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza speaking. I'm your host, narrator, writer, composer, podcaster, team of one behind the show. I hope you're doing all right out there. I'm still hanging in there over here in Ontario. Whether you're in Ontario here with me or somewhere else going through this third wave or a lockdown or just, you know, trying times. I hope you're doing all right. I think you're doing a great job. 
If you're enjoying On a Dark Cold Night and would like to support what I do over here, there are a few great ways to do so. First, you can check out my Patreon page, where every monthly supporter receives access to my downloadable soundtrack for the show, which is growing as we speak. You can learn more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. Second, you can make a one-time donation in the form of metaphorical coffees through coffee.com. This doesn't come with the soundtrack perk, but is very, very appreciated. Learn more at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Third, you can pick up an On a Dark Cold Night t-shirt or hoodie at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. And here are a few great free ways to support the show. I'd love it if you left a rating and a review for me on iTunes, Facebook, or wherever else you like to review podcasts. You can also follow me on social media, which I'd really appreciate. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, or on my Facebook and YouTube pages just called on a dark cold night. My friends, I am so grateful for you listening to my story tonight. The lovers, two weeks in a row. We'll have to see what next week brings. But in this week, perhaps remember that it's not a bad thing at all to devote real time and energy to putting love and harmony out in the world, and draw it into yourself as well. It's maybe not the scariest, most horrific thing to focus on in a ghost story, but our forest, our rules. Until next time, my friends, sweet dreams. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.